Let's read from Ephesians chapter 6, um, starting in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take on, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. You may be seated. When I was in school, I heard or read a story or a fable about a man who owned a donkey. And the name of this donkey was Hare. He called it Hare. And uh, one day the man and his son decided that they were going to take the donkey to the market and sell it. So they were walking down the road, the two of them with their donkey. They met someone coming the other way, and this person just said, made a comment to them, well, you're rather strange people. You have this donkey, and you're both riding. Seems to me one of you ought to be, or you're both walking. Seems to me one of you ought to be riding the donkey. So they thought, well, that's a good idea. So the man told his son, why don't you hop on the donkey? A few minutes later, they met another person. They said, what a disrespectful son, riding the donkey and making your dad walk. So they switched places. The boy got off the donkey and the man got on the donkey. And a while later, they met someone else and said, that man sure is inconsiderate. He's riding, making his son walk. So they decided to both ride the donkey. So they both got on the donkey, continued on their way, and met someone else. This man said, aren't you pretty mean to that donkey? I mean, both of you riding the donkey. Poor donkey. I think maybe you ought to carry the donkey and see how you would feel. So they thought, well, maybe that's the case. Maybe we should carry the donkey. So they both got off and decided to carry the donkey. Well, by this time, the donkey, named Hare, decided he had enough of these shenanigans. He broke loose and he ran off, never to be seen by them again. The moral of the story is, if you try to please everyone, you end up losing your hair, and probably a whole lot more as well. The title of the message this morning is Courage to Stand Alone. And I'm wondering, as John read this text from Ephesians chapter 6, if you noticed the word stand, not mentioned once or twice, several times. In verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. And then again in verse 13, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Now in the story that I just told you, this man and the boy were in a situation where they needed to make a decision. And true, they could evaluate the opinions of others. They heard some advice, and maybe they heard some good advice. But they needed to decide for themselves what was appropriate, make a decision, 
and then stand on that decision. When they were swayed by the crowds, they accomplished nothing. Not only did they accomplish nothing, but they ended up losing even what they had and ended up with less than what they started with. And when we fail to take a stand, that is generally what happens. We all find times when we need to stand alone. Young people, young men, young women, you need to stand alone. Middle-aged, older people, there are all, there are all, all of us find situations when we need to stand alone. And often when we think of standing alone, we think of facing moral issues, facing temptation, taking a stand. But there may be other situations as well. Uh, maybe you're left alone physically due to a death of your spouse or someone else. Maybe there are health situations that keep you confined and you find yourself alone. That takes courage as well. So when you think of standing alone in the Bible, who do you think of? Probably there are numerous people that come to your mind. Several weeks ago, Joseph preached a message on the three Hebrew children. They needed to take a stand when the world was bowing. They stood. You could think of Joshua and Caleb when they returned from spying out the land. They took a stand for what they believed was God's position. You might think of Elijah on Mount Carmel. He took a stand for the true God of Israel. You might think of Paul standing before the rulers, different various rulers, Felix and Festus, Agrippa, different men. He took a stand. So in a sense, these men all stood alone, and yet in another sense, they were not alone. See a picture here of a man standing all alone. Perhaps a more appropriate picture would be a man standing in a crowd. Because each of these examples that I gave to you, these men were in a crowd. The three Hebrew children, they were in a huge crowd. But they decided to take a stand. Elijah on Mount Carmel was in a crowd of hundreds of people. But he took a stand. So often standing alone... You may not be alone physically, but you are alone in the position that you take. So as we look at this message this morning, courage to stand alone, I want to look at three aspects. First of all, look at some resources for standing alone, and then secondly, the results of not standing alone, and thirdly, the rewards of standing alone. Resources for standing alone. And I've chosen to uh, use the example of David. If you care to, you may open your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17. So it was interesting that Launcher referred to uh, 1 Samuel 18, and actually even a few verses from chapter 17. Chapter 17 is the account of David and Goliath. Now we could have read this chapter for a text, but it's 58 verses. And that might be pretty long to ask you to stand. I didn't want to have you tuned out before we even started the sermon, so I chose not to read the whole passage this morning. But we do want to refer to this. This was when David was a young man. It was before he became popular and well-known. As a young man, he was facing decisions. And I'm sure as a young man, he was 
likely influenced by his desire for acceptance, his desire to fit in. But that did not keep him in this situation from standing apart and from separating himself from his peers. In this situation, in this chapter, in this account, 1 Samuel 17, David was the only one willing to stand up for God, the God, his God, who was being slandered and insulted. David alone stood up for his God. He was the only one who was willing to put his life on the line for the sake of God's reputation. He was the only one willing to step forward into that no man's land between the trembling armies of Israel and that fearsome giant representing the armies of the Philistines. And he stood there all alone. How could he do that? What were some of the resources that he had? I'd like to look at a number of them. Number one, resources for standing alone. Number one is an awareness of God. When David arrived in that enemy camp and when he heard what was going on, he was shocked. He was grieved. He was angered. Not at what he saw, necessarily, this man coming out and challenging them, but he was angered at what he heard, what he heard this man say, because the name of his God was being defied, and that was more than what David could handle. No one else seemed to notice this. No one else seemed to slander the, or notice the, the slandering of God that was taking place. And I'll be kind of jumping back and forth to various uh, verses in this passage. But in 1 Samuel 17, verse 25, when David started asking about this, the men of Israel said, surely to defy Israel is he come up. Well, in the next verse, David spoke, and he said, this man is defying the armies of God. It's not the armies of Israel, it's the armies of God that he's defying. He was aware of the situation of God. It seems he was the only one who had the perception to hear what was really happening here because he had an awareness of God. David, in this situation, saw the Lord. Many observers looking at this passage see two people facing each other, David and Goliath. But there was an additional presence there and David was aware of that presence. On another occasion, David penned the words, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. He was aware of the presence of God. Some might ask, well, what is the evil that, is, that you're facing this morning that you fear? The difficult things. Reject, rejection? Not being cool? Maybe life is carrying you where you don't want to go. You're facing difficulties and challenges in life. Can you say with David, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. As David marched down that hillside and paused at the brook to pick up his five stones, and he charged forward to meet that giant, I think God was just as real to him as that fearsome giant was to the quaking Israelite army. So I want to remind you, this morning, God is with you. You are not alone. Whoever you are, wherever you are, you are not alone. When you go to school, God is with you. 
When you go to work, God is with you. When you sit home at sit at home alone, God is with you. When you travel, God is with you. David was aware of that, and that awareness gave him courage to stand alone. So not only was David aware of God, number two, David recognized God's faithfulness. Not only in the present, but he looked back in the past to recognize God's faithfulness. Many times we are told, many times in the Bible we are told, remember, remember what God has done for you. And sometimes I think we're kind of weak at remembering what God has done. Someone has said, all that I have seen teaches me to trust the Creator for all that I have not seen. Let us remember. David is an example of remembering. We see that in verses 34 to 37. When he was talking to King Saul, and Saul was discouraging, and he said, ah, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight against him. You're but a youth. And in the middle of this terrifying scenario... While Goliath was standing on the hillside yelling threats at them, David had a little story time. Goliath was there telling threats, and David started telling stories. He looked at King Saul, and he said, Well, you know, it so happens I'm a shepherd boy. And one day this ravenous bear came charging out of the woods, and before I knew what was happening, he just grabbed a lamb and he took off. Well, I took off after him, and I grabbed that beast by the hair of his chin. I yanked that lamb right out of his mouth, and I killed the brute right on the spot. Story time. And then came the punchline. The Lord that delivered me out of the hand of the bear and the lion will deliver me out of this giant. David was remembering. He was recognizing what God had done for him in the past and using that as a reminder that God is able to do the same thing today. So when you're tested with standing alone, remind yourself of what God has done for you before. How he has been faithful to you in your youth, in your childhood, growing up. And remember that he is still the same God today. Sometimes I think we need a pause for story time more often. And just remember what God has done for us. Focusing on what he has done will help us to stand alone. So, David was aware of God. That was his first resource. Number two, he recognized God's faithfulness. Number three, his third resource was simply his perseverance. He did not give up. Proverbs 24, verse 10 says, If thou faint in the day of adversity... Thy strength is small. David, in this situation, faced adversity, and it came from all sides. It wasn't just Goliath. It came from all sides, but he did not give up. First of all, his brother verbally abused him. In verse 28, his brother, what are you doing here? Who do you think you are? And then he goes on to say, what about those few sheep in the desert. He was belittling him. He was mocking him. Basically what he's saying, you're insignificant. You don't matter. You don't make a difference. Get out of here. This is for the big boys. You're not one of us. But David persisted. He persevered. He was not afraid 
to stand alone in the spite of that. And perhaps, just perhaps, David had the insight to realize that many times the people that talk the biggest are the people that feel the smallest. And they're trying to make themselves feel bigger. Maybe Dave realized that. At any rate, this criticism did not stop him. This criticism from his brother could represent criticism from our peers or the need to take a stand among our peers. They were brothers. They were somewhat on the same level. And many times that's where we need to take a stand. Well, his brother verbally abused him. Secondly, the king discouraged him. This happens in verse 30. Verse 33. The king straight out says, you're not able to do this. You can't go out and fight that, fight that giant. You're small. He's big. You're inexperienced. He's experienced. You're unequipped. He's equipped. You don't stand a chance. You can't do it. But that did not stop David. He persevered. The king would represent our authority. Now, most of us probably do not face this real often in our setting here, but there may be times, perhaps at work or in other situations, where you are asked to do something that goes against your conscience. That did not stop David. He persevered. And then finally, there was Goliath himself. His enemy cursed him. When Goliath saw David coming down that hillside to meet him, he lost it. He started cursing, you blankety-blank, I'll feed you to the birds. Did that stop David? No, it did not. A person who is determined to stand alone will not quit when it gets rough. And this simply represents the evil forces around us. There's evil around us against which we will need to take a stand, regardless of the curses, regardless of the threats, regardless of the taunting. We need to take a stand. So David's third resource was simply his perseverance. Well, he had another resource, somewhat tied in with some of the earlier early ones. Earlier we said he was aware of God, and he recognized God, but he also depended on God. His dependence was on God. When we depend on God, we will find that he is able. David, I think, realized that when I can't, God can. In 2 Corinthians 12, we have Paul's testimony, and he tells us how that God told him he says, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And then Paul's response in the next verse, when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. Because when I can't, God can. And David depended on God. I'd like you to picture the, ver the, the setting here. Now, this passage tells us, that Israel was encamped on one mountainside. The Philistines were on another mountainside. There was a valley between them. And Goliath stepped out on one side. 
So David had to cross that valley and go uphill to face Goliath. This was an uphill battle. David crossed a brook and ran toward him. So not only did Goliath have the advantage of size and experience, he also had the advantage of position. His enemy was coming at him from below. The odds were tremendously stacked against David, if we look at it from a physical sense. And furthermore, David began his charge, I believe, without even any ammunition. He was in this hillside. The valley was in the middle. The brook was down at the bottom. Remember, he, he pulled his stones out of the brook. So he started running down that hillside towards the enemy without a single thing in his hands to kill him. He had no spear. He had only his staff, a little stick, and a few pieces of leather, a pouch, and a slingshot. He started out empty-handed. How could he do that? Because he was depending on God. He wasn't depending on five stones. He wasn't depending on his sling. He realized that when I can't, God can. He had no armor bearer like Goliath had. And in the moment of truth, it was him and God against the enemy. And that is where his dependence lay. Dependence on God was a resource that David depended on. Dependence on God is what you need to depend on if you want the courage to stand alone. Because your resources are not, not enough. Your resources will fail you. But if you depend on God, he will give you what it needs, what you need. Well, there was another resource that David depended on, and that was spiritual perspective. As you read this chapter, as you read it attentively, you see a lot of perspectives in this passage. Most people had a physical perspective. Goliath was too big. Just how big was Goliath? Well, the Bible tells us how big he was. The Bible doesn't tell us how big David was, but he was a youth. So let's suppose that David was maybe five feet, eight inches tall. What's the difference? That gives you a perspective that I found somewhere. I'm not sure what's with those hairdos, but doesn't include those in the height. You see, the odds were against David. From a physical perspective, the giant was too big. From a physical perspective, the giant had too much wealth, too much uh, experience. He was too well equipped. But David had a spiritual perspective. It's interesting what David says to Goliath when he comes against him in verse 45. He looks up at Goliath and he yells, All you have is this measly equipment, your, your sword, your spear. That's all you've got. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, the God who cannot lose. That was David's perspective. His perspective carried him forward. He looked at Goliath and he said, you plan to feed me to the birds? I'll tell you how it is. We're not going to feed just you to the birds. We're going to feed the hosts of the Philistines to the birds. 
It's not just you that's going to die. Your whole army is going to lose. That's what he told him. I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines onto the fowls of the air. That's perspective. David realized that this was not a personal attack on him. It was not a national attack on his country, the country of Israel. This was an attack on God, an affront against God himself. And he said, he told Goliath, before this day is over, all the earth will know that there is a God in Israel. That was his perspective. Perspective makes all the difference. All the earth will know that there is a God. Many of you are familiar with the name Ceausescu. He was the dictator of Romania during communist days. Ruthless, atheistic, outspoken. He wasn't afraid to say what he thought about people who believed in God. He openly defied God. Can you imagine, after the revolution, standing in his palace, the palace that he built to make a name for himself, with a large group of young people, enthusiastically and emphatically singing, there is a God. It's enough to make the chills go up and down your spine. There is a God. David knew that there is a God. That was his perspective, and that gave him the strength to stand. Let us remember, regardless of what you're facing and who you're facing, there is a God. May all the earth know that. Well, I think David's perspective also helped him realize that the crowds were deceptive. When you're facing a crowd, the crowd wants you to think certain things. But what the crowd wants you to think many times is not true. And in this case, what the crowd was trying to believe was not true. It was far from reality. In verse 19, it says, Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. Really? Is that what they were doing? That's what they wanted people to think they were doing. You really want to know what they were doing? Look at verse 24. They weren't fighting. They were fearing and they were fleeing. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. Do you call that fighting? You see, what the crowd wanted people to believe and what was reality were two different things. And David was able to see through that. What the crowd wants you to believe so often is not true. They weren't fighting. They were shaking in their boots. They were trembling. They were whining. They were putting on a front, and it was false. The crowds put on a front. I think there's one, one more thing that David realized as he was looking at this from a spiritual perspective. How many days had Goliath come out to challenge Israel? Forty days. David was informed of that. And I imagine that that number maybe said something to him. You see in the Bible, 40 days 
or the, the number 40 is a time of testing. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days. The Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They were tested because of their failure. Jesus' temptation, 40 days. You see, 40 is a time of testing. And when David heard that Goliath was out there for 40 days, I can just see that those wheels begin to churn in his mind. This is a test. This is a test that we need to pass. The armies have been failing the test, but we need to pass the test. The next time you are challenged, when you are in a position where you need to stand alone, remember, it's a test. Will you pass the test? So the fifth resource that David utilized here was his spiritual perception, spiritual perspective. And one more I'd like to mention is that he avoided distractions. In verse 39, when Saul finally agreed to let him go and fight Goliath, he said, here, put on my armor. Here's my sword, my helmet of brass, coat of mail. David put all this on. He stood there and he shook his head. You see, that was the world system. David said, I, I, I've not proven the world system. I have no faith in the world system. If I rely on the world system, it's going to bog me down. It's going to get in my way. It's going to impede my mobility. It's going to hinder me from doing what God is calling me to do. And in this case, the world system is simply not good enough. It's a distraction. The world has a lot to offer that's touted as being pretty great, pretty efficient, pretty effective. It's going to give you the advantage. It's going to help you win. But many times, exactly the reverse is true. And it gets in your way spiritually. Are you going to be willing to step out from the crowd and shed the world's attractions? I don't need to name what they are. You know what it is that appeals to you. There's many things this world is offering. And we use them. But let us not allow them to distract us. Because it might make the difference of being a winner or a loser. So these are some of the resources that David utilized to help him stand alone. Well, let's look now at some results of not standing alone. And we're going to leave the example of David now, facing Goliath, look at some other examples. The results of, stand, the results of not standing alone. So what happens if you do not stand alone? What happens if you just blend in with the crowd? What happens if you try to please everyone? Well, first of all, you will find that life will be frustrating. And we illustrated this with our opening story with that man and his son who were trying to please everyone. It was frustrating. They found they couldn't please everyone. They ended up losing what they had. Another example of someone who did not stand alone is Pilate in the New Testament at the trial of Jesus Christ. Pilate knew what was right, but he failed to take a stand. 
It's interesting. Three times Peter said, I don't know this man. Three times Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. He knew what was right. But he had this crowd here that was pressuring him. Was he going to take a stand or was he going to bend to the crowd? Well, I think you understand that he was in a very frustrating situation. He failed to take a stand, and it led him in circles. I'm going to just highlight some of that. I'm going to read excerpts from a few verses from John 18 and 19 to just try to give you a picture of the frustration in which Pilate finds himself running back and forth, trying to balance what he knew what was right with pleasing the crowd. Chapter 18, verse 29, then Pilate went out onto them. Verse 33, then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again. Verse 38, he went out again onto the Jews. 19, verse 1, then Pilate took Jesus in and scourged him. Verse 4, Pilate therefore went forth again. Verse 9, he went again into the judgment hall. Verse 13, Pilate brought Jesus forth. You see how he was running back and forth from one to the other. That's a picture of frustration. When you fail to stand alone, we, you will face frustration as we run in circles trying to please the crowds. If Pilate would have taken a stand, this account would be totally different. And if you have the courage to take a stand, your life will be different. So the results of not standing alone, first of all, life will be frustrating. Number two, memories will be haunting. As you think back on your failures and those memories haunt you of how you failed. I don't know how well Pilate slept that night. His wife had trouble sleeping. I imagine Pilate did for a while as well. There's another example, the example of Peter. Peter declared up and down that I am willing to take a stand for you, Jesus, I'll stand with you until death. But when the moment came, Peter failed. Jesus was arrested and taken to trial. And when that happened, there was nothing Peter wanted more than to just disappear into the crowd, lose his identity, blend in, fit in. Jesus was taken into the palace of the high priest where he was interrogated. He was blindfolded. He was slapped. He was mocked. He was abused. Where was Peter? Trying as hard as he could to blend in with the crowd. Mingling with the servants and officers around the fire. Perhaps he thought that if I go stand among the officers, they'll never suspect who I am. He did not want to stand out. He didn't want to be identified. He did not want to stand alone. He faced a test, and he failed utterly and miserably. Three times he denied Jesus. And on the third time, immediately, he heard a rooster crow, and he remembered the words of Jesus. I can imagine him reflexively, just without thinking about it, taking a quick look towards Jesus to see Jesus gazing upon him. It was more than he could handle. He ran out of that crowd and 
wept bitterly. Bitter tears. You see, failing to take a stand means that your memories will be haunting. How many times did that memory come back to Peter? How many times in his mind eye did he see Jesus gazing upon him? In those miserable days that followed, what was his most haunting memory? Was it seeing Jesus hanging on the cross? Or was it seeing that gaze of Jesus after he had denied, after he failed to take a stand? How many times did he wish for another chance? We're given a choice. Will we stand for Jesus? Will we stand for truth? Or will you blend in, try to blend in with the crowds? One of the results of not standing alone is that your memories will be haunting. A third result is that death will be frightening. We're looking at the results of not standing alone. You see, the person who lacks the courage to stand alone spends all of his life mingling in with people, just trying to fit in. It's all he knows, joining his peers and whatever they do. But when the time comes for that person to face death, he has to do it alone. Even if he's in the company of others, he has no choice but to make that transition from life to death, all alone. And if he could not bear standing alone in life, how is he to bear it in death? What a frightening prospect. But doing it alone is not the only thing that's frightening. The prospect of answering for his lifetime of failure before his eternal judge is even more frightening. Hebrews 9.27 says, For it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. And if you never had the courage to stand alone, that is a frightening prospect. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the good thing, receives the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether they be good or bad, whether he stood for what was right or whether he failed to take a stand. Failing to take a stand makes death a frightening prospect. One more result. Eternity will be distressing. Now, I, I don't know if distressing is the right word to use here. I wasn't sure what was the right word to use. And I don't claim to understand exactly how judgment and rewards will be meted out in eternity. And I'm not saying that failing to stand alone is going to tip the balance from spending eternity in heaven to spending eternity in hell. In some cases... It could and would. In other situations, perhaps not. But I do believe that our decisions and our actions here on earth will make an eternal difference on some level. Jesus will give rewards according to what we have done. Jesus gives us some very sobering words in Luke 9, verse 26. He says, Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, we could say, Whoever is ashamed to take a stand for me, 
Of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. This verse has a very clear message. If we are ashamed to stand for Christ on earth, he is going to be ashamed of us. Can you imagine standing for Jesus Christ only to discover that he's ashamed of you? That would be distressing. Can you imagine having eternity before you in that situation? I think that thought alone should be all the motivation we need to stand alone without flinching every time the need should arise. Well, let's look at some rewards of standing alone. Number one, your strength will increase. You see, standing alone in a small way enables you, prepares you, strengthens you to stand alone in bigger areas. Exercise builds strength. It increases endurance. And as you stand alone, it will increase your ability to stand alone. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8 says, Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth a little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So as you exercise your, your faith and exercise your resolve to stand alone, that will increase. The benefits are both present and future. Jesus also said, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He that is unjust in least will be unjust also in much. So the rewards of standing alone, number one, your strength will increase. Number two, your conscience will be at peace. Paul gave his testimony. Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. In 1 Timothy 1, 18 and 19, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, holding faith, taking a stand, and a good conscience. You see the two go together. Which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. He said those who failed to take a stand ended up losing everything. They were a shipwreck. But those who stood have the blessing of a conscience at peace. Sometimes taking a stand may cost you. It may cost you popularity. It may cost you a position. It may cost you material gain. But at the end of the day, you know what you did. What you did was right. And you can lie down in peace and sleep with a good conscience. And the third result is that the joy of God's approval awaits you. And I believe this is the best result of all. Many verses, I'll just flip through them here rather quickly. Luke 12, verse 8, Jesus says, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man confess before the angels of heaven. God's approval awaits you. Philippians 3, 13 and 14, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me or around me, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus, the reward that awaits. 
Revelation 2, 10 and 11, Be thou faithful unto death, take a stand, stand true, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh, even if it's all alone, shall not be hurt of the second death. Perhaps the greatest reward of standing alone is to hear those words of Jesus. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful. You stood alone when you needed to. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. In conclusion, I don't expect any of you to need to face the Philistine army. I don't expect any of you to need to stand between, before a giant that's nine and a half feet tall, or even to be found in the no man's land between two military armies. But God is asking you to take a stand for him. And that may mean standing alone. It may be at school. It may be at work. It might even be at a youth party. It may be with people that you trust. God is asking you to take a stand. You know, when a baby begins to develop, there's a progression. Your first child, you're excited when he or she first pulls himself up by a chair or something and stands. After a while, he can stand all alone. After a bit more time, he begins taking a few steps. He begins walking. Some more time passes, and he runs. There's that progression, standing, walking, running. But I think there's also a progression in our Christian life that may be completely opposite, reversed. You see, our tendency is to run with the crowd, to do what they do. But as we mature in our Christian life, we may find ourselves just dragging our feet a little bit, and we begin to hang back. We slow to a walk. Something is not right here. This is not pleasing to God. This is not honoring to God. Your awareness of God, just like David's awareness of God, gives you a perception to see something is not right. And eventually, as you exercise your maturity and follow God's spirit and God's prompting, you have the tenacity and the fortitude to stop running and to stop walking and to stand and to take a stand. Are you, like David, willing to stand alone? I have seen people in this church standing alone, and I want you to know that I appreciate that. I've seen youth standing alone. I've seen seniors standing alone at their high school graduation. I appreciate that. I've seen young people standing alone at a wedding, taking a position for what you believe. I've seen people standing alone in your manner of dress and appearance, families, older people. And I commend you for that. And my desire is that this sermon can just be an encouragement to you to continue to stand, and having done all, to stand. I'll close 
with these two verses from Philippians 3, which I shared before. And may this be our testimony. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Paul is saying, I look back at my past. I, I needed to stand alone, but that's in the past. What counts now, what counts is today. What lies ahead of me. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth onto those things which are before, I press forward, determined to stand toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let's kneel for prayer. Again, Lord, this morning we feel weak and we feel inadequate as we realize the pressures of life around us, the pressures of the world, pressures of our peers, and even pressures from within. And Lord, we're realizing that you're calling us this morning to stand true, stand tall for you. Thank you for the example of David. And even as a young person, he was willing to step out from the crowd and be different. He, stepped, he separated himself from his brothers, from his peers, from the whole nation of Israel, and was willing to recognize you and your faithfulness, and that made the difference in his life. And Lord, I just pray that we would be reminded this morning of your faithfulness to us, and that we would allow those reminders to carry us forward and give us the strength to stand Lord, I pray that you would raise up from this group here an, an army of people who are willing to stand for you and for the truth, regardless of the cost. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.